Galatians chapter number 3 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> Galatians chapter number 3, you can find your way, way that direction, and uh, it's a blessing to get to be back home preach. Uh, there's just something about being in your own church, and it's a blessing to be back here, be in our home church, and uh, thank you for allowing us to sneak away this last week and uh, have the opportunity to preach a prophecy conference in Stevensville. So I had five five services to preach on all of Bible prophecy, and uh, I don't know if you know this or not, there's a lot of prophecy in the Bible, and, uh, and so we did our best to cover what we could, and uh, thankful that the Lord uh, gave that opportunity. Maybe one of these days we'll, we'll uh, go through some of those things here at our church and uh, dive into some of that stuff as well, and uh, it was a tremendous blessing, but I'm thankful for our church uh, being so gracious to the people that were here and uh, the Lord allowing us to come back here and get to be here this Sunday looking forward to this service together. Galatians chapter number three is where we're at this morning. Let's do this. Let's pray. We'll ask for the Lord's help and then we'll dive into the word of God together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to come, to be able to open your word, and God, to be able to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that you help your word to be just so clear to us this morning. And uh, Lord, we, we need that. Lord, in the confusion of our day, Lord, there's a lot of things that are going on. There's a lot of things that, uh, that have caused confusion in our world. And yet, Lord, we know that your word is clear. And I pray, Lord, that it would be clear in our hearts and our minds today. And uh, God, that we would get exactly what you want us to get from your word. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Help us, Lord, to focus our attention for a few moments. And help me, God, only to say that which you want me to say. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just by way of kind of concluding from our previous time here in Galatians, we saw in chapter number 2 as Paul passionately closed out those verses in Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He said it would be pointless if it wasn't by grace, if it wasn't because of Christ's death, if it was because of what I could do, then he says Christ's death would have been pointless. If I could have obtained it on my own, it would have been pointless. You see, Paul was telling these Christians in verse number 20 that he was not saved by his works, but he was saved by Christ. And not only was he saved by Christ, he was continuing to live in Christ. And Christ was living in him. It was as if Paul were a name tag in his life. And that name tag had his, his name in small print. But across the top of it in big letters was that he was now living and belonged to Christ. He knew 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 because he would eventually write it. Where he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why? Because you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. His life was under new ownership. Maybe you've been driving down the road before and you've, you, you're driving through town and you look over and you see a sign on maybe a store or maybe a, a, a franchise, you know, a fast food joint or something. And across that sign it says, under new ownership, under new management. Maybe you've seen that before. And what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to promote that, hey, listen, somebody else is now in charge and things are different. Things are better. I don't know if that's a slam on the previous ownership, but needless to say, they're saying, listen, things are are better. Things are improved. Things are, are different from what they used to be. And listen, in Paul's life, he was saying, my life is under new ownership. God is the one that 
in control. And it's so much better. So much better. You see, Paul, as we come to chapter number 3 now, he turns his attention away from himself. Here he is, he's saying, listen, I'm under new ownership. God owns me. But then he comes to chapter number 3 and he turns his attention to the Galatian church that he was writing to. He had presented his life in his example as an example, and now he brings the Galatians for a comparison. Compare these these people at Galatia for a comparison. And when Paul starts, and what he says should have put them on their heels. He says there in Galatians three, verse number one, those first three words, Oh foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians. Paul was calling them foolish, and it wasn't a joking matter. It didn't mean that he was saying that they were dumb. Some, some have said that's what he was saying. He said, you bunch of dummies, you know. Uh, but that, that's not what he was saying. No, what Paul was saying is that they were willfully ignorant of the truth. They were choosing not to obey what they had been taught in favor of something else. They were being hard-headed. You ever known somebody that's hard-headed before? Don't point at your spouse, okay? You know, we've probably all experienced this before, right? Where somebody's hard-headed. It's like they just won't understand. They just, just come on, just, just get it, will you? Uh, that, that's what Paul was saying here. He said, listen, you bunch of Galatians, you're being hard-headed. What's wrong with you? And it was doing great damage to the cause of Christ and ultimately to their own testimony for Christ. Christian, can I encourage you this morning as you approach the Word of God, approach it with a willingness to change. Approach it with a willingness to make this book your final authority in your life. See, we all have a final authority in our life, and the reality is it comes down to one of two things. We're either going to let this book be the final authority, or we're going to let ourselves be the final authority. What we think, what we believe, what what we have decided, that's what we're going to decide to be the final authority. And God says, listen, you can't have it both ways. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon. You're going to serve the gods of this world. You're going to serve yourself. Friend, can I encourage you this morning? Make God's Word your final authority. Be willing to change when God's Word tells us to change. Now I understand there are some people that are guarded to to the preaching of God's Word because maybe you've been under preaching before that the preaching of that preacher and the philosophies that they preach and the beliefs that they had were detrimental, were very hurtful because they weren't from the Scriptures. I've been in the service where preachers have stood up and said, alright, take your Bible and close them. I want to tell you what I think. Friend, if anybody ever does that, just get up and just run away, okay? Because listen, friend, you don't need what some man has to say. You need God's Word. The only time I've heard a preacher say that, and it was a good thing to stay for, was John Getch, Dr. John Getch, who was at the college we went to. He's an evangelist, been an evangelist for many years. He said, go ahead and close your Bibles. And then for the next 35 minutes, he quoted verses from the Word of God. That will work, okay? Because what? Because it's God's Word, all right? Listen, friend, what we need to understand is that the path is in the Word of God. Friend, can I tell you this morning, when we hear God's Word, we need to respond to it. When it's preached in context, when it's preached from the Word, we need to be willing to say, God, not my will, but Yours. God, not my way, but Yours. God, what You have said, I will obey. I heard one preacher say it this way, and whenever he was uh, early on in ministry, he used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. A little further down the road, I heard him again. He said, listen, he said, I used to say that, but I've since changed it. 
said, now I say, God says it, that settles it, and it doesn't matter if I believe it. And that's the reality, friend. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God says it, that settles it. But I would encourage you to believe it. I would encourage you to accept it. You'll never go wrong receiving God's word. Paul gives warning to these believers in Galatia. And these warnings that that he gives to them, listen, we would do well to listen to as well. And this morning we're going to look at those warnings. He's going to give these, these warnings to them because they're important, they're vital, they're things that are still very real in our world today. Things that we still struggle with and I hope today we'll open our hearts, our minds to what God's Word has to say and be willing to change according to the Word of God. The first thing that we see here, the first warning that he gives them is in verse number 1, we find the dangerous messenger. The dangerous messenger. In verse number 1 of chapter number 3, Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Who hath bewitched you? It's interesting because he doesn't say what got you off track. What bewitched you? He says who. We can gather from the texts in Galatians that Paul has been writing that there were false teachers that had come in were preaching false messages. Back in Galatians chapter number 1, we saw in verses 8 and 9 where he says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And he says, I said, as I said before, I've told you this before, I'm telling you again, that if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Clearly, someone had come into the lives of these Christians and had led them astray in their understanding of the gospel. They had allowed the wrong voices, the wrong people, to speak into their lives. This last week as I was preaching this meeting over there in Stevensville, it, it was interesting. Anytime you do a prophecy conference, you never know what you're going to get into. And, and uh, you know, I, I got over there... And, so I was preparing to, to get up and things. I, I was talking to, to some different people. And it's always funny because people, they draw crazy conclusions from things. I, I had a guy that came up to me a, a couple of different times. And as we're thinking about the last days and stuff like that, came up to me a couple of different times and was bringing up things and saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'm sitting there thinking, I know that it's, I, I don't know what I think about it because it's not in the Bible. I mean, that was what, what I thought, you know, he was just, I mean, things that were completely off the wall. And I'm like, I don't, where did you get this from? And I'll tell you where he got it from, from some person somewhere that said this thing or some, some book that he read that, that pulled something completely off the wall and he took it and swallowed it whole cloth and said, man, that sounds really interesting. I think I'll just believe that. But it had nothing to do with the Word of God. Uh, when it comes to prophecy, people are so curious that they, they, they dive into it and they want to learn things like that. And sometimes they, they hear things that they just swallow that really has nothing to do with the Word of God. Somewhere along the way, they hear the wrong voices and that leads them astray. Friend, it can be so easy to be led astray in our world today. With the rise of artificial intelligence in, in, in the platforms that amplify the voices of people, false information is rampant. You've probably seen the picture that AI, you, you can go online now and you can take and you can make AI make a picture of, of whatever you want. You've probably seen it. The picture of Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump sitting there fishing on the shoreline with smiles on their faces. I tell you, that didn't happen, all right? It's, it's not something, that, it's amazing. Uh, but there will be people that will see that and say, what? I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. I, I, I can't believe this happened. What happened? They're deceived. 
They're believing something that isn't true. Christian, we got to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. You see, in a picture like that, it's, it's kind of silly, it's foolish, but there are some things that are very serious. Friend, is your, is your mind being held captive by those news stations that you listen to? Are you being constantly influenced by someone on some podcast that you listen to? Are you allowing your thoughts to be formed by Hollywood? Because I can tell you this, they don't have the same principles that the Word of God does. And if we're not careful, we can allow these people and these things and these influences to constantly be sowing into our life in such a way that not only, I mean, it will cause us all kinds of different emotions. It will cause fear and anxiety, depression, anger, all kinds of things. Why? Because we're listening to voices that have nothing to do with the Word of God. That aren't true and faithful to the Word of God. And by the way, parents, can I tell you this this morning? It is your job to protect your kids from these voices. Do you know what they're watching on their devices? Do you know what they're looking at? It's absolutely stunning. There are things that children have access to today that grown men couldn't seek after and find unless they really searched for it 20, 30 years ago. We live in a generation. It's unbelievable. I was doing some, some, I was listening to something the other day, listening to a voice, and they were going through and they were talking about some of the statistics and things of the impact that these screens are having on some of our younger culture today. It's unbelievable. We, we truly, we don't understand the impact that it's having because we've never experienced it before. The, our children are literally the test subjects. And can I tell you this? The byproduct of what's coming out today is not good. Depression amongst teenagers is at an incredible high. Suicidality rate amongst teenagers at an incredible high. Why? Because they're looking at something on a screen that isn't real. And they look at their own life and they see how it doesn't line up and how it doesn't compare and they become so depressed, so discouraged that they think, well, if I can't be that, I don't even want to be here at all. It's sad. And can I parents, it's not the duty of this church to raise your kids. Listen, I will do my best as a pastor to try to influence them. We will do our best to have kids programs that help them. But it is not our responsibility. It is yours. It is yours. And I can tell you this this morning, friend. If you are not careful, if you are not guarding your children, if you're not guarding your family from the influences on the screens, if you're not guarding your family from the influences of the music and the things that they're listening to, if you're not guarding your family about what you're allowing Hollywood to pump into their minds, friend, can I tell you this? You are not doing your job. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, verse number 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And in Psalm chapter number 127, verse number 3, it says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of His womb is His reward. Can I tell you this, friend? Your kids are not your own. God has given them to you to steward them for a period of time so that you can raise them up not to be great kids, but to be great Christians that serve and live for God. 
That is your duty. That is your responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 tells us this in verses 5 through 9. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Man, it's the great commandment. But listen what he said after this. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest in the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gate. You know what he's saying here? He said, listen, everywhere you go, everything you do, listen, guard your children. Raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them the word of God. It's your responsibility. One of the most sobering and somber thoughts is when you realize that the young lives that God has entrusted to you, you will one day give account for how you raised them before God. Friend, I know one day I am going to stand before God and I am going to give an account of how I raised my children. One of the sad realities There's a lot of parents that are so busy taking a screen and swiping through it and looking at it and flipping through things on the TV that they don't have time to raise their children. You say, Kyle, you're you're kind of mean this morning. Listen, friend, I'm just passionate about something because I'm tired of seeing young people's lives being destroyed because of parents that aren't involved. Because of parents that that are just simply sitting by the wayside and, and just letting this world raise their kids. Listen, friend, it is nobody's responsibility to raise your kids but your own. So step up and take that responsibility. It is vital. And protect them from the voices that are speaking into their lives. Know who they're hanging around. Know who their friends are. Know what they're watching. Know what apps are on their devices. You say, Kyle, I don't, I don't know. I'm not good with technology. Listen, friend, if you're not good with technology, you've got to be real careful about giving them to your kids because I can tell you this, your kids are real good at it. It is stunning to me. I can give my kids, a, uh, you know, every once in a while, we'll let them uh, play on a, on a pad. They have some pads and things like that and that, that we'll let them play on and things like that. It's amazing. They can sit there and do all this different stuff, and I'm just like, holy smokes. Why? Because they're raised with it. You know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. You get that? Listen, I mean, like, but, but the new dogs learn just fine. I'm telling you. Listen, friend, if you don't know it, you better either. It's no excuse to just say, well, I don't know it. Are you, is that your excuse when you stand before God someday? And your kid fell into pornography whenever they were 12 years old? They said the majority of kids see pornography, get addicted to pornography. Majority of pornography sites are, uh, are, are uh, accessed by 12 years old and under. That's unbelievable. Well, the highest numbers, 12 years old and under. Well, God, I, I just didn't know how it worked. I don't think God's going to accept that as an answer. Friend, we have to guard our children. We need to lead them in a way, intentionally lead them in a way towards God. Be intentional about it. There, there is not a more important job that you have than the life that God has entrusted you, raising them up for the Lord. I just encourage us this morning. We've got to take seriously this matter. 
Because it was a who that led the Galatian believers astray. And if we're not careful, it will be a who on some screen, some radio, some friend that will lead our kids astray. Friend, if you're not careful, it'll be some person that'll lead you astray as well. And you know, one of the sad realities is so many times the person that leads us astray is ourselves. Because we think we know what's best. You know what the Bible says about that? In Jeremiah 17, verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? (laughs) Your heart will excuse your sin. Your heart will tell you that you are better than you are. Sometimes your heart lies to you and tells you that you're worse than you are. There are times that self-reflection can be helpful, but we have to be careful not to live there. Left to yourself, you will lead yourself astray. Be careful of the who's that are influencing your life. It was a who that led them astray. And then Paul addresses what these dangerous messengers were teaching. It was, it was a message that Paul says was bewitched. It's an interesting word. He he uses it, this, this Greek word. It's the only time in the New Testament that the Greek word is used for bewitched. There's other words that are translated with bewitched in the New Testament. But this specific word, it's the only time that it's used in the New Testament. And that's important. Because when something's mentioned once, oftentimes it's, it's for a point. It's to draw attention to it. The, the word bewitched, it has the idea of giving the evil eye. Now, I know what we're thinking, okay? What our minds think, too. There's every teenager in here thinks, I know what that is because I see it from my mom all the time, okay? Husbands in this room are like, you don't have to tell me about the evil eye, all right? I, I know what that is, all right? That, that's, that's where our minds go. But that's not what he's actually talking about here. He's not talking about your wife's look at you, okay? That's, that's not whenever you've done something wrong or, or when she asked you to do something and you didn't respond right away and then you get the evil eye, right? You know, you, we, we understand. That's not what he's talking about. I'm not speaking from personal experience. Somebody told me about this, okay? But uh, listen, that's, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. It, the, yeah, come on. Yeah, so <laughs> the Middle Eastern culture had this idea of, of magic spells being cast on someone to wish evil upon them. To this, to this day, people in Middle, Middle Eastern cultures will wear charms and, and jewels and things like that. In fact, it's, it's come over into to the United States and things like that. Why? Because it's a belief that it will protect them from the evil eye of someone else, the, 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 the spells that they would try to cast upon them. That's, that's a mysticism thing, but that's literally what he was referring to. What Paul's alluding to here is it's vital, it's vital for us to, to, to not... This. He's saying that the message these people are communicating is evil. It's destructive on a spiritual level. For this is the reason that you must be careful of the things and influences that you allow into your life. We have to be careful of the movies that we watch. We have to be careful of the influences that we have. We have to be careful of the voices that are speaking into our life. And I'm convinced that as we go closer and closer to the return of Christ, the job of the devil just keeps getting easier and easier. Why? Because not, we, we not only don't take a stand against that which is evil, often we just invite it right into our homes without giving any second thought. 
Ephesians 5 tells us in verses 15 and 16, See then that you walk circumspectly, as the idea of looking around, not as fools, he says, but as wise. Redeeming the times. Why? Because the days are evil, is what he says. In Ephesians chapter number 6, he says this in verses 10 through 13, Finally, my brother, he says, I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that she may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. In 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, of, of life. Listen, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. Friend, there's a very real evil in this world seeking to destroy your life and the life of your family. May we not walk obliviously into the lion's den because we are willfully ignorant like these Galatians were. Uh, it won't affect us. It won't affect me. I can watch whatever I want. I can listen to whatever I listen to. I can hang out with the guys that I listen that I that I want to hang out with you. Uh, listen, I, I had somebody told tell me one time. He said, "Listen." He said, "If, you, if uh, he knew somebody that said, listen, he said he was married and he went and hung out with four other guys that had all been through a divorce." And he looked at them. And he said, "It's so unwise." He said, "I can tell you right now, in five years from now, you will be divorced as well." Why? Because he said, "You are the sum total of the people that you hang around." If, if your whole life is spent in the world, what do you think you will become like? You, you can't, I don't know if you've ever been on a pig farm before. I've, I've been on one, and I can just tell you this. The, it's unbelievable. It, it stinks. It is, it is so stinky. I remember in Indiana, we went over and we visited some friends uh, one, one time. I'll never forget. I was a teenager. We went over to the house for dinner and things. Man, you could smell it from miles away as you were getting closer. And I'll never forget this. We got to the house, and it was somebody my dad worked with. And I mean, they had this beautiful house, and I mean, this massive pig farm. I mean, there, there had been thousands of pigs. We got there, and we walked into the house, and man, this is so beautiful and things like that. And I remember at some point during, during supper, we're sitting around there, and we're talking with them. And I remember somebody asking the question, does the smell ever bother you? You know what they said? What smell? Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> They'd become nose blind. Why? Because they lived in it. You know what can happen? If we're not careful, when you live in it, you just become it. It doesn't bother you anymore. And if we're not careful, if we're not guarded, if we're not, not, not being circumspectly walking, the Bible tells us, it has the idea of looking around. Why? He says because the, the devil's a roaring lion. It gives the idea of, of the hunter that's walking through and he's looking around every direction. Why? Because he doesn't want the lion to sneak up behind him. He's paying close attention to what he's doing. He says that's the way as a Christian we're supposed to walk. Be careful because the devil's trying to get you. He's trying to attack you. He's trying to tear you down. In 1 John 4, 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There are so few of Christians on the battlefield for Christ because so many have willingly walked into the den of the devil when it comes to the voices they listen to. 
What influences are you allowing into your life? Don't miss the morning. The, the, the warning this morning, don't fall into the trap of the dangerous messengers. But then he goes on and he gives us the dangerous message that they're speaking. This evil message, what was it? I mean, it's a big deal. He's drawing great attention to it. Don't miss the evil message, he says. Look at verses one, the second part of verse 1 through verse number 3. What was this message? He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently been set forth, crucified among you. He says, listen, I have given you the right message. But verse number two, this only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? There he is again. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This message that he dives into, exactly what it is, it's so interesting what he says is so evil, what you have to be so careful about. In verse number 2, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, were you saved by works or by faith? You heard the message of the gospel, the message by faith. The answer for them would be obvious. Well, we're saved by faith. Then Paul gets into the heart of the issue in verse number 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Once again, again he, he doubles down on these strong-headed, willingly disobedient hearts. And he says to them the dangerous message. Do you think you are saved by the Spirit, but you are made complete in your flesh and your works? See, they had fallen to the dangerous belief that your spiritual maturity determined by your outward works, by keeping the law. Over in Luke chapter number 18, we have a a vivid illustration that God gives to us, Jesus Christ gives to us. In verse number 10, he says, two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. Now for us to understand who the publican was, the publican was a tax collector. The tax collectors of that day were cheats, thieves, I mean, these guys were the the worst of society. They they made a living by going to people, and they'd say, okay, this is what the the government required of that person, and they'd say, well, whatever I can make above that, that's what I get to keep. And so they would go, and they would lobby unjust taxation on people, and they would say, the government says you have to pay it. I don't know, it sounds familiar. I don't know. But, I mean, that's what they would do, okay? They would go to them, and they would do that, and then they would keep anything above they could get. Many times, judge double, two times what the, uh, the, the, the actual taxation was, and they would keep that. And so because of that, they were considered the lowest of society. I mean, just the, 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 the criminals, the liars, the deceivers. These guys were awful. And the Bible says the, the Pharisee, the guy that looks... The best. I mean, he, he, he keeps all the law, walks into the temple, and the publican, they walk into the temple. Same temple, same, same guys. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I think that... Now, this is interesting, because I always had this picture that, that he walked in, and he stood at the front of the thing, and out loud, God, I'm thankful. I, that, that's how I always picture it. But the Bible says that he prayed within himself. So, so maybe he did that, but it could have just been a prayer in his own heart. Prayed within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this, uh, this publican over here. God, I'm thankful I'm, I'm doing so good. Because God, compared to everybody else, 
I look pretty good. I do the right things. God, I keep the law. I'm a Pharisee. Look at me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, this guy was the cream of the crop. He was what every pastor wants as a churchman. I'm just kidding. We don't really want that, all right? (laughs) And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as an eye, his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. See, the Pharisee looked the part. He did all the right things. He said all the right words. He believed that he was spiritual. Why? Because of the works that he did. While the publican tax collector knew there was no hiding who he was. He was hated by society. He lied. He cheated to get ahead. He knew that he was a sinner. But on that day, only one of those two men left that temple right with God. And friend, there is an incredible danger in the belief that our outward religion makes us spiritual. That because we come to church and we dress a certain way and and we say the right things and we sing the songs when we're supposed to and we do all the outward appearance stuff, that because of that, we are spiritual. But the truth is, is many have fallen to this pharisaical religion. In Matthew chapter number 15, Jesus said this in verses 8 and 9, The people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they, they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is so interesting. He said these people, they they say all the right things, they look the right way, they sing the right songs, they're involved in aspects of ministry, and they're exhausted spiritually doing it because it's not real. He says they, they elevate these things, these traditions of man, to a level of doctrine. And he says as they do that, he says they are nullifying the Word of God. That's what he tells us over in Chapter number 7, they're taking away from the power of God. Why? Because they're elevating their traditions to a level that God never intended for them to be. And they look good on the outside. But the reality is they're a mile wide in their service, but an inch deep in their spirituality. Because they had fallen into the trap of elevating their outward religion to the place God had never intended for it to be. Glorying in their appearance, glorying in their standards, their glory in their ability to speak the Christianese language. But their relationship with God is dead and stale. And the truth is, this is the problem with our Christianity today. They're full of their religious traditions and religious appearance, but they are empty of the Spirit. And Paul asked these Galatian believers and us today, if your works couldn't get you to Christ for salvation, you must have lost your mind. That's what he's saying here. You're foolish to think that you can make it, make you, uh, that, that, that any of those things can make you like Christ after salvation. James 2, verse number 17 says, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. See, the truth is, while. We're not saying that your outward appearance and things like that doesn't matter. That's, that's, not, that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that it's not important. 
In fact, over in Matthew chapter number 5, he says, You're the light of the world. Say that set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, give light to all that are in the house. So he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, your outward appearance and, and your actions are very important. But what Paul says to these is that focusing on what everyone can see and not worrying about the things that really matter, your spiritual life, he says, that's evil. To promote an outward religiosity without dealing with the true spiritual condition of the person, he says, that's just wrong. For the preachers that were happening, this is what was happening. The preachers that were coming in and saying, listen, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to be religious, you need to dress this way. You need to act this way. You need to say these things. Listen, that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what they were known for. Do you remember what he said? I'm thankful that I'm not an extortioner, that I'm not like these other guys, that I do all the good things. But he missed the most important part. See, Paul says to believe that only focusing on what everyone else sees is evil. Why? Because the motive behind it is rooted in pride. God, what will they think of me? So I want to do these things so that my appearance is good, so that everybody will think that I am spiritual. And Proverbs tells us that God hates pride. We're so good at getting the cart before the horse. It's not that those things don't matter. They do. It's just they be, get put in a position, in a place that they shouldn't be. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. And the outward stuff will be an outflow of a real relationship with Christ. Statistically, statistically, the majority of Christians that are in churches this morning did not spend time with God in a personal devotion time. Not just this morning, but this week. You see, in in our Christianity today, we've gotten so good at doing the Christian things, but not being a Christian. Not having a relationship with God that we should. And I can tell you there's one that's far more important than the other. If we will be what we should be, then we will do what we should do. You can have the appearance of godliness without being spirit-filled, but if you are spirit-filled, you will always pursue godliness. Don't forget the goal is not some level of religious appearance that you have determined. The goal is to be like Christ. Watch out for the dangerous messenger. Watch out for his dangerous message. Because ultimately it will lead to what Paul finishes up here with in verse number 4 and 5, the dangerous meaning. You see, Paul emphasizes where these things lead if we give way to the dangerous messengers with their dangerous message. He says in verse number 4 and 5, Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh the miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
Many of these first century Christians had suffered persecution, often at the hands of the Jewish religious groups. Don't forget it was the Jews that called for Jesus' crucifixion. These people had suffered for the faith that now they were struggling with. They had suffered for the faith of the gospel, and now they were questioning how it all worked. Yes, okay, I'm saved by grace, but I feel like I need to live a certain way to give the appearance of being a Christian. And it was all outward. And Paul simply says, was all that suffering that you went through in vain, was it for nothing? Because to turn away from the truth of the gospel and to act like it was their works that gained God's favor was to make all of their suffering a waste. See, he reminds them in verse number 5 of why they took a stand in the first place. The he that he's referring to is God. He says, He, God, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit, he, he saved you. He worked miracles, the miracle of salvation in you. He says, did he do it because of your works? No. What was he getting at? He said, listen, God didn't save you because of your works. And he doesn't love you anymore because of your works. You didn't get God's favor of his grace because of the things that you do. And you don't keep it or gain any more because of what you do. And he says, if you're going to act like that's the case, he says, then was it all worthless? Was it all pointless? Hebrews chapter number 11 is one of those landmark chapters in the Word of God. You go through and you see all these people that the Bible says, by faith, and then it tells what they did. And, and it's, it's an incredible chapter. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite in the, in the whole Bible. In fact, it's come to be known as the Hall of Faith. And you can go through and see some of the, the heroes of the faith as you go through and see Enoch, and you see Moses, and Abraham, and Sarah, and I mean, all these different people that, that, that stood for God, and Noah. I mean, just all these incredible stories and how by faith they did these things. As he reaches the end of the chapter, he says, I'm out of time to tell you all the stories. That's what he says in verses, verse number 32. He says, and what shall I more say, if the t- for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of all the prophets. He says, who through faith, they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stood, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant and fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead to life again. I mean, he's going through and he's like, man, these guys, they had great victories. And we're all like, yeah, we love the victories. But then he turns to things. In verse number 35, the second part there. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, cut in half. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, trying to hide, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, they received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You see, so many died for the cause of Christ. So many died for the truth of the gospel, having taken a stand when the rest of the world stood 
against them. They knew that to turn back would have been to make their message that they preached with their whole lives vain. And with those in mind, he continues into chapter number 12. He says, wherefore, he says, based upon what I just told you, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with such a great a cloud of witnesses. Man, look at what they did. And because of what they, man, just think about what they, he says, listen, because of that, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Don't miss this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the same, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Friend, with the multitudes who have gone before us and stayed faithful to the truth of the Gospel, may we keep our eyes on Jesus and not some man-made standard that we think makes us, gives us an appearance of a certain aspect of religiosity. Don't fall into the danger to the dangerous messengers with their dangerous message because if you do, it will give the dangerous meaning that what you said you believed just wasn't real. It'll destroy the testimony for Christ. It'll take away from the power of the gospel. Friend, were you saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves? And the answer to that question is if you are saved, yes. It's the only way. If you were, then live like that's how you were saved. If you live like it wasn't you that earned it, you'll stop acting like there was something about you that deserved it. You'll stop acting like there's something about your standards or your actions that makes you godly. And you'll realize that it is a relationship with Christ that puts you in a right relationship with God. Christian, have you been bewitched this morning? It's a serious matter. I hope we'll decide this morning to be led, not by what we deem that we have to look like or have to think, no, 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 but we will be led by the Spirit of Christ. Not just to have an appearance of godliness, but to truly be godly. Friends, we need Christians that are deeper than an inch. We need Christians who are so saturated by the Word of God and the truths of God's Word that their whole life is dictated by it. You see, if we will allow this to be our final authority, and we will live according to this book and God's, what God's Word has to say. We don't have to worry about making all the standards and requirements. Why? Because Christ will lead us in a way that pleases Him. You see, as a preacher, I could stand up here, and I've, I've heard preachers do the stand up here and say, listen, you have to wear clothes like this, and you have to, uh, 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 you have to, to be at this many services to be godly, and you have to do these things. And if you do that, then that's the mark of, of godliness. Here's the problem. If you do those things, why are you doing it? Because, because the preacher said so. You know what I want in our church? I, I hope and pray that we wouldn't do things because the preacher said so. 
I hope we would do things because the Spirit of God leads us to. Because the Spirit of God will never lead us contrary to this book. And that's what I want for every Christian. Because that will last a whole lot longer than this preacher. This morning, let's let God's Word be the final authority. Let's not make the Word of God vain. Let's take a stand for Christ. And prove with our lives that what this book says is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to be able to open your word for a few moments, to study your word. And God, these are important things that we've talked about this morning. God, there may be somebody here that's being held captive in their minds and their hearts because they think they have to live a certain way to gain your approval. They have to live and talk and say certain things so that, so that they can be godly. God, I pray that we would not be a church that is so shallow that we think because we do or say something that makes us godly, Lord, I pray that we would actually be godly. That, God, we would actually have a relationship with you and that your spirit would have control of our lives as he did in the Apostle Paul's life. And I pray, Lord, for each person in this room that you'd help us to examine our hearts and allow you to examine us so that we can avoid those dangerous messengers with their dangerous message that put off a dangerous meaning if we fall to it. May God, we boldly stand for you. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. The music's going to play. I hope you respond to the Lord this morning. Let's stand together as the music plays. God spoke into your heart.